Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Becca, if you were to meet a society that was Atlantis-like in terms of their mythological uh, origins and their ability to have access to unfathomable technology that just makes their lives better, what gift of theirs would be required for you to not take Oshi back after they (laughs) kidnapped him? Well, Jake, I'm glad you asked. I would assume that such a society would act as if they've been living under living living under a rock, <laughs> and okay. uh, they would be idiots if they didn't realize that they would have to pry Oshi from my cold, dead fingers. Whether or not I'm the favorite parent, they would they would immediately die for even thinking of touching one of his little baby hairs. Oshi is anyway, Becca's dog. Xander? Just to clarify context there, in case that why was would anyone confusing? be listening this? podcast and not know my dog <laughs> I kind of wanted the listener to have to figure out if it was a child or a dog or like a prized pillow Some or something. sort of yeah <laughs> oh yeah it's my like person sized pillow what do you call those those body pillows that body, people fall in love with yeah dakimaguro I think <laughs> dakimaguro. y'all Xander speaks Hug, Japanese hugging pillow there's a word <laughs> Anyway, uh, this seems relevant to episode 116, When the Bow Breaks. Yes. Thanks, Becca. Yeah. <laughs> In this episode, Wesley Crusher must protect a group of kidnapped children while the Captain Picard fights for their release. And, you know, by fights for his release, after after reading that synopsis, he kind of just waits. And by protects the other children, you mean plays with the big computer for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and instigates a hunger strike. Yeah. yeah. Well, it worked, and I thought it was genius. Xander, what would you do if you were in this situation, this hypothetical? Oh, my gosh. I'm glad that you asked me because I, this is the sort of problem that I love that they explore in Star Trek. You know, this sort of conundrum of, like, you can kind of see both sides of the issue. My solution would have been, let's get some volunteers to uh, get down there and help them out. Not just donate the kids, but the parents, too. And like, Yeah, they're reproductive. Right? Yeah. That's what I thought. Like, how about you just get some horny adventurers on yeah, the ship? I'm sure there are a ton. <laughs> On the Enterprise alone, Riker is probably already signed up. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, we need to impregnate? Yeah, yeah. Riker's so on board. <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of kids who also don't want to live with their parents anymore. So this is, like, the the actual core meat of the episode I thought was really great. And I, I don't know if it's just the time that we're living in or if it's me specifically, but I actually, like teared up multiple times in this cheesy like episode. Oh my god. I cried a lot. Right? <laughs> Something was... about being taken away from your parents yeah. and the vulnerability of children just makes me like <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. Not just that, but also this weird sort of wish fulfillment, especially as like a queer kid growing up. You, you, everybody sort of has this, um, I don't belong in my family. I'm the artist or I'm the, the math one or I'm, I'm too the cool cook. and I'm the only one without glasses. Exactly. And so everyone goes through that developmental stage of if I, I love had you, parents that understood, then my life would be perfect. And I, we could just explore music together. We could have, I could have a mentor built into my house, you know, but then they realize it's not about that. And, you know, I think it was a beautiful message for kids who might be watching this growing up thinking that, you know, 
and and it makes you appreciate sort of the environment that you grow up even more. Because you might get irradiated if you left. Right. <laughs> is that what you meant? No. <laughs> I meant that is beautiful uh, when you put it that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In general metaphorical sense, but you know, also the radiation. Oh, oh got it. Yeah. I thought it was to scare children by telling them that if they do run away from their parents, even if their parents don't understand them, that they will be killed with radiation in a matter of decades. I was kind of hoping for at least an arc of something like that where we saw a, like a, a, a rougher relationship. We kind of got a little bit of it with Harry. Yeah. We got, Harry, like, we got, thank you. That's the same. Yeah. Yeah. And Dr. Yeah. Bernard, but Harry just didn't want to do calculus. I we I wanted just a little bit more. Everyone okay. needs a base understanding of calculus. This eight-year-old is learning calculus. That's incredible. Why He's are we kid. there? I feel like children could get there today on planet Earth. We should just try teaching kids calculus. Like I think is the moral I took away from this episode. Yeah. I'd like to uh, issue a challenge then, Becca. Maybe you should learn go a little ahead. calculus. And, or uh, no, just go ahead and teach it. Well, guess <laughs> what? I grew up on Aldea, so I don't have any kids. <laughs> Well, I, I also like that Dad didn't even really respond to the question of why, which is a pretty good question of why do I need a foundation in calculus, if, especially if I'm going to be a sculptor. So you can be an engineer like Wesley. Yeah. So that yeah. your technology doesn't surpass your uh, individual ability to comprehend said technology so you don't notice when it need ma- needs maintenance because it's killing you. See, Becca, you'd be a great parent, whereas Dr. Bernard just yelled at his kid more. Thank right. you. But Thank also, you. don't like, make me cry. This whole episode made me cry. <laughs> Who knows what Dr. Bernard is dealing with, though? Because you might have a sort of Hulk situation. Because that kid messed up Commander Riker. Like he just bumped into him, and he came in with a limp to the bridge. So much so that Deanna Troy is like, "Bro, you're limping." And he's like, "Yeah, this kid like tackled me in the hallway, and now like I may be a commanding officer on a starship, and like we have r- rigorous physical training, but..." Ow. Riker might be big, but he has brittle bones. Yeah. It's that thing you get hit wet right in the elbow, right in the funny bone, right in the knee. Yeah. He forgot his injury as soon as he heard about Aldea, though. Man, he got right. real enthusiastic. Because he, he thought it might be a main. bone fest. Yeah, always horny on man. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. Put it in the pants, Riker, and keep it there. He so, wanted to bang that planet. I mean, right? He wanted to yeah. bang the whole planet just for being mysterious. And I like that they <laughs> trapped the exposition of what this planet is about and how Aldea is this sort of like um, uh, un- oh, Atlantis-type planet. Yeah. Uh, but Yar has never heard of it, which is like, Yar, <laughs> didn't you go to Starfleet Academy? I know you grew up on running from rape gangs, but... Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, too, is that why did they give this plot point to Riker when Picard has been established as, like, an archaeologist or a fan of these kinds of things? He gets perfectly excited, but I don't know. It was a weird sort of, like, shift that they gave. I guess Picard had the kid thing. I try to remember that when a, when someone in Starfleet, like, asks a question, you think, like, you should know that. They're always doing it into service of, like, well, we want to do an exposition dump, right? It's the same thing that we do in, like, role-playing games, like, playing NPCs. You're prompting to either get in this backstory or exposition. It doesn't really matter what the, the question is. You just want some sort of explanation that's not just espousing or coming from data. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
it was yeah. a, it was it was a little it kind of smooth. Uh, and Troy is finally using her power. She's the one that discovers oh uh, um thousands of minds. Mm. You would think that a Betazoid or a half Betazoid had traveled through this quadrant of star space before and would have sensed this missing planet, especially if we knew it was around where this Atlantis Aldea These people existed. Are crazy powerful though. Like yeah. they they punch yeah. the Enterprise three days away. I'm gonna give you a three-day punch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're asking the Trek questions because I had the, in the, my notes the same thing. I was saying like, Deanna Troy is not only a full, not only a full Betazoid, but you're telling me an entire race of of beings that are traveling around space never bumped into one of these. Or maybe the <laughs> Betazoids just kept their secret. Maybe, but Jake brings up a good point. Is later on they reveal that they've they were sending out these breadcrumbs on purpose. So it could that's the argument of you know maybe they were shielding from Betazoids up until then. So they were just trying to attract the Enterprise specifically. Get them babies. Put out their Get baby tracker, just like yeah. I've been doing since I turned twenty five. <laughs> yeah, and bring, yeah. Anyway. Bring them to Burning Man, the planet. <laughs> we just want to do art and no responsibility. And, and they're like, it's uninhabitable otherwise. Speaking of planet, it was interesting. This is a limitation of production budget. But this is an mm. entire planet. And I kept writing notes like, oh, wow, everyone on the ship. Wait, no, it's not a ship. This is a single building right. where everyone that lives on this planet lives. You, yeah. if If... They had infinite budget. I imagine they would have done some sort of public service announcement or a big stage where it's like, we have stolen the children and are negotiating a price um, right, to, right. to an entire world of people. This is the main, uh, for me, one of the main complaints that I have of the Star Trek format of storytelling is that planets are reduced uh, to just one city. Uh, you know, you go to Vulcan and you know what it's going to look like, even though Earth itself is such a diversity of landscapes. I know what a scene on Vulcan will look like or in Kronos with the Klingons. You know what I mean? Like, there's this... But I, but you're limited, like you said, with the budget. So for this one, I had forgotten that the pallid skin was a part of the yeah. like, symptoms. And I was like, this makeup job is terrible. What is happening? Too. Like someone dust off this powder. What's going <laughs> oh, oh, it's a part of it. Okay, never oh, mind. Oh, I didn't My even bad. notice. I'm used to wearing yeah. so much powder anyway. The uh, high definition uh, version of this show, like you, you see the makeup a lot in general. So I, th yeah. I th and it was supposed to be obvious or not obvious. It's supposed to be, I guess, subtle in this one. Um, right. Plus, it was broadcast in a fuzzier resolution. Yeah. So I'm sure they needed it to be like that to register. Yeah. <laughs> so we meet Radu and Rochella that beam themselves aboard to the bridge. And that's when uh, um, Crusher is like, oh my God, they didn't go through the decontamination because they didn't use our transport system. And this, yes. see, I'm thinking like a Trekkie. Uh, yes, and are. this is also them giving us this information that every time someone comes through the regular transport system, they become decontaminated. Yes, that is important. That becomes a main point for multiple episodes. But like Ferengi have transported into the bridge before, and we didn't notice or make it a thing before. But they were they were contaminated. Right. So that was a hostile situation. Uh, same thing with Q, who just like would appear. Uh, that's why it's so disturbing when stuff like that happens, because there's a protocol. There's uh, these safety measures that are put in place, and when they're circumvented, that's when like things can go off the rails, and who knows? Suddenly we're somewhere else. Wild. <laughs> I felt like everybody was pretty immediately okay, though. Like, as soon as it was established that we could turn off the alarm, they're like, okay, 
I'll take that cornucopia. Well, Picard was really uh, on board, and I think that kind of set the tone. Yeah. And I was like, Picard is surprisingly on board yeah. right well, away. Well, they also then, without really kind of asking, they pull Riker, Crusher, and Troy just off the ship. And like, Picard's reaction is interesting choice. Interesting choices. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't he be <laughs> furious? That he didn't ask permission. He said, yeah. oh, we'll bring some other people along and you, first officer. How do they know the protocols that the first officer is the one that goes on the trip? And, and then, and then, like, what? What? I mean, it's great that know. the captain is keeping his chill, but I wouldn't. Like, you didn't have permission to teleport my people. Right. I think that we've got one one aspect with Crusher acting like a professionally paranoid, not even paranoid, but correct person and Starfleet officer, and then this flimsy excuse of Picard is so excited about discovering Atlantis-like things that he's like, ooh hoo hoo let's let this happen, uh, thinking that they are inferior in some way, even though they've proven multiple times that they are superior yeah. technologically. Or are they? We'll find out or later. Are they? But something weird when they first teleport into the bridge is that they're really bothered by, we find out, the bright lights that keep squinting and covering their faces. Right. Hmm. A telltale sign of radiation poisoning. <laughs> Do we ever actually, like, see or hear what exactly they are capable of in terms of their uh, technology? Like, they only – I mean, obviously the shield. That's the big thing. And the punch. Mm-hmm. But, like, what about yeah. it? What, what, what makes their life so easy? transport. <laughs> that goes real quick. Transport at warp, too, I think was happening. Let me be more specific. What I'm saying is, like, what gives them the ability to just relax and do art all day? Like, they also said they, they were going to share know. a bunch of secrets. <laughs> a big tower of glowy. Yeah, this is the, like, this is the future that liberals want. Just some computer telling you your schedule while you sculpt all day, whatever. Exactly. Uh, exactly. It is, though. Can't wait. Um. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's the thing is that they were trying to establish that these these this culture is so far removed from doing things themselves or having the agency to question how things work that they're the solutions that they jump to are equally outrageous of like, well, we need kids. There are some kids. Let's go get those kids like they belong to us. Yeah, it's wild, and it's also so relatable because we are there. There's mm. so many things that we mm-hmm. use every day, and we don't understand. Pistons in a car. I don't even know what yeah. a piston is. Fires right. or something. <laughs> but I use it every day, or used to. <laughs> um, the internet, a series of tubes. I have no idea how this works. Yeah, I don't know. You plug it in and make it go. I call the ATT guy when it doesn't work and yell at him. <laughs> but it, it's, it's an interesting parallel that we know so much less the more we progress. This is the future liberals want. Right. And we've (laughs) encountered this before on this um, perspective on a prime directive because now we've seen us Would you call that a directive perspective? It would be a directive perspective uh, where we've seen the level of where we're above others technologically. We've been below others, but now it's this weird middle ground of like technologically they're kind of above but they don't really have the mental maturity to handle what's what's really happening with their technology so it's another sort of perspective on this prime directive and we never really get to by the end of the show what what created what gave them this power they got there and then they started to regress perhaps so it's a warning or some outside force gifted them this what do they call their supercomputer they have some the, crazy uh, name. The custodian. Uh, custodian. Custodian. 
Yeah. Uh, With the progenitors. That's who they said yeah. created yes. everything. Progenitors. But I do have a, a theory that it was um, aliens. Oh. <laughs> I thought they just mispronounced progenitors. <laughs> yeah, progenitors. <laughs> Custodians, progenitors, it makes sense. Uh, There's also, we've talked about it, but just to explicitly call it out, that there is this recurring theme in literature of, I'm thinking, Children of Men, Handmaid's Tale, Mm -hmm. the fear of infertility. Mm -hmm. That's such a big collective fear, and why? I think it's because once you remove the species of humanity from Earth, what is there to fear? The fear now is um, we're going to run out. Now that humans are spreading out and, and uh, populating all over the place, we're terraforming, we're going. Um, but the, the, the fight, flight, fight or flight response has now turned species-wide. And so the, an Ill- inability to, progen- like to, to uh, procreate, uh, I think, becomes a fear of progenitorate becomes a general fear and like you said this planet seemed pretty empty and these might be the only ones that are left so if that's ramped up to that level then and they don't know any better because they're in this sort of bubble of creativity prison uh, then you know it's no wonder they resorted to that you're defending them you monster this is what UBI (laughs) will do None of you will be able to do anything except sculpt with an electronic sculpting device. Sign me up. (laughs) Well, also, I think uh, we already have invited that when we replaced pagan rituals with Christian ones. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was all about fertility rituals back in the day. So it's already too late for humanity. It's a concern in the zeitgeist. (laughs) Mayday is about fertility celebrations. And we ruined it. The way they treat children makes them monstrous parents, though, because like w- when they're negotiating with it's either the Picard or with Riker and uh, Crusher and Troy, they say something about why do you want them back so badly? You can always make right. more. It's like they're people. We have relationships with these. <laughs> I think one misstep that they should have done was they made them look too human, and they were supposed to be an alien species. Yeah, yes. I think it was to make it more relatable, and actually one of my theories is is to not freak out the kid actors, because there are the rules. You don't work with kids, and you don't work with animals. Uh, and I can imagine having a lot of prosthetic makeup on all of these extras, or, or rather the uh, player characters would kind of freak them out and make it hard to concentrate on sit still and look scared, you know what I mean? So I, I think they had to try strike a balance between that. I just um, want more sympathy for these people a little bit. Like, we don't gain it until we find out at the end they've been poisoning themselves and they just want right. to continue their society. But, like, uh, they start off with the kidnapping, so none of us are right. ever really going to get back on their side. Right? They wanted us to examine the human condition of caring for your offspring, which is not just in humans, but uh, they're like, wow, so fascinating. It's so strong in humans. So it was sort of bungled, like that exploration of it, because there could have been a cool lesson there or some way to explore that, but I think it was just kind of mishandled. Let me jump back to a little summarizing, uh, just for people that haven't seen it in a long time. So Rochella is the youngest person right. on this planet, and she's like 30. Uh, and so they steal like 10 kids, including Wesley, of all varying ages. Wesley's the oldest by far. And there's this little redhead named Alexandria. And yeah. Rochella, the oldest on their planet, 
picks her out and they like become besties and I roll redheads be crazy this tiny one's making alliances because immediately she walks over and like puts her hand out with her little stuffed animal plushy thing in her hand uh, yep. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Rochelle yeah, was really in control in that situation yeah. well, Alexander as, was in control the whole time oh yeah she's totally knows what she's up to especially when she comes for Picard but um, yeah. there there is this thing that they show that their alien race can form these bonds even though they don't seem to understand them uh, for the people of the Enterprise because Rochella, they're going to give Alexandria the little girl to her like foster family and Rochella's like, uh-uh, this one's mine. Mm-hmm. I love her. Mm-hmm. You will pry her out of my cold dead hands just like me and Oshi. Uh, so it is an interesting thing that they're like, oh, okay, so they can't understand this concept of identifying right. with the children as their own. But as their own possession, like she knew that yeah. kid was going to go to a unit and she still said, uh, no, I'm keeping this. For myself, right? Because I that, have a that's bond the opposite. with it. Well, yeah, but that's, that's not how I feel it's about still treating it less. <laughs> <laughs> but you're still not really treating it as an individual, right? Like if if it's been if well, we're calling we've, these children. It, it, I know, so. I know, we are because I'm just trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. But the point right. is, is like that's still I think a little bit demeaning, right? Yeah. Well, I think are, are do either of you have like nieces or nephews? Yes. So I have a nephew, and this gave me like nephew energy where you show up, you're the new thing, you probably brought a present of some time, or any time that you show up, you bring a present, and they're like instantly attached. And then your uh, sibling is like, oh, we're going to go off, you can babysit. And it's a disaster at some <laughs> point in the evening of like, they just want a, a parent back, even though you were the fun uncle, and now you're not anymore. Uh, so I felt that sort of bond... Uh, is was occurring naturally and you had mentioned that this was sort of the youngest person on the planet so they're so far removed from dealing with children and dealing with that sort of mentality of these mood swings that it's sort of a grandparent mentality versus an uncle or an aunt or even a parent mentality and bond with these younger kids that's how i saw it anyway yeah yeah so walk us through plot what's happening back on the enterprise well, that, what I was so confused about is, like, Picard says he's stalling, but, like, they simply aren't returning his calls, so he's not in control. Also, they all. were supposed to be offering something for the kids, and I don't ever recall there being an offer made, was there? The knowledge. The off- yeah, the offer but then, was But they didn't say what it was. They're just like, here, let us show you. Yeah. They don't know. They're like, yeah. look at our janitor, our giant janitor. See? <laughs> You're welcome. Give us your children. Well, we don't know how it works. <laughs> eventually, they pull some shenanigans. Picard's able to get himself and Crusher beamed over onto the planet. Crusher sneaks a little bit of a diagnostic with Wesley on his foster mom, and that's how they figure out that these people are irradiated, right? Real subtle. Very he subtle. puts his arm yeah. over her, but with a, a scanning device in his hand, and doesn't touch yeah. her. So it's like, what, right. what do you do? I like to think that her dimming vision from the radiation poisoning just makes her <laughs> not quite as perceptive. Right. That makes yeah. sense. She's... Also not used to these, like, human hover hand customs. (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, maybe they just think it's a custom thing. Also, I thought, maybe the people on this planet forgot so much stuff, they forgot what sex is, and they don't know all they got to do is get it on in order to procreate. That's Babies are growing in her belly. I don't know what's not going (laughs) on. That's totally valid, especially once they demonstrate they don't have a basic understanding of really anything. Right? (laughs) How does this work? What's behind that door? We don't, don't know. know. Let's make some music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, in terms of making music, like um, 
what was the girl's name? Katie who was the musician. Mm-hmm. I don't. They're all just their occupations to me. That's <laughs> yeah, how their names. music child. <laughs> okay, yeah. music child. Music child. Uh, find music old man for their pairing. She was being right. instructed to not think so much as feel, and when mm-hmm. she just did a chord that was really actually pretty dark and like almost John Carpentery, <laughs> that yeah. was that was regarded as a failure. It's like, oh no, I need some major chord progressions here for this to be right, successful. right. Yeah, less Eric Whitaker, more Maybe John Maybe she's Williams. the Trent Reznor of the starship. Who knows, yeah. she, right? Well, that's what she turns into, because what happens in that <laughs> scene, she plays a little ditty that sounds just like the opening credits of the show. Weird. And her so new maybe daddy... maybe she's been playing it this whole time. <gasps> Tied it in. I love that. Uh, her new mm-hmm. daddy's like, okay, cool, that was good. Now play something less sad. And she goes, that's how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. It's the saddest line it's of like, the episode. Calm down, Johnny Cash. You're not, you're like six. Yeah. Well, you know. Your life isn't that bad. It's important that they show us that these kids were enjoying that thing you were talking about before of, uh, okay, yeah. okay, Aunt Becca, it's fun with you, but you're not my mommy. Right, right. Or I'm finally in this environment where what I wanted to do is flourishing and I have an adult that understands, but I don't want to do this all the time. I want something else, you yeah. know. And around this time is when we get a lesson in acting from uh, the School of Patrick Stewart, Acting 101. <laughs> Always mm-hmm. pause before the word forever. Because he goes, <laughs> they'll keep us out and the children in forever. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Just you to really, establish. It really sells us on the severity of the situation when you pause there. <laughs> Listen, when you want to punch something, there has to be a space before and after. Mm-hmm. Boom. <laughs> I'm not sure what the definition is of passive resistance, but is a hunger strike considered <laughs> passive or active? Passive. Because you're not passive. doing something? Is that That's it? Because you're not harming something something else. Y- okay. You're just harming yourself? Right. Okay. Like a hunger strike or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got well, exactly. That's what so that is. is passive resistance. I immediately yeah, got in. hungry when you said the word hunger. <laughs> I would not have had the patience right, of Alexandria. Alexandra. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I don't care. Give me this kumquat right. or whatever the fuck. Yeah, they bring they bring services. a tray of fruit to the children as Wesley has collected all the children and, and has advised them all uh, that if they want to see their parents again, then they all have to be on a sit-in. And what is it? Harry, little Harry, is like, yeah, but Sculpture like, child. I found out I'm real good at sculpting <laughs> yeah. here, so maybe I stay? And he's like, all or nothing, kid. The kid's right. like, I guess I'll go back to my mean dad that makes me do calculus. He finally got someone who's going to nurture his talents instead of yelling at him about it. He didn't even know he had talents. He'd never done art before. Well, his talent is just running a laser over it, which seems to just yeah. kind of make the sculpture. <laughs> I love that he asks that question. Yeah. Like, they're like, you made this. And he's like, did I? And, you know, that's a basic question of art. You know, what is is it the tool or is it... The artist, or is it especially the with sculpting? Because sculpting is this weird, per- this weird thing where you're removing something that's already you're there, letting right? out the Whoa. art. Yeah, you're, you're the facilitator. Space. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing that uh, was very interesting, detail-wise, about this episode was the fact that um, to for the plan to come into effect, where Riker and Data were going to beam down mm. because they discovered that the hole's not so much a hole as it is a what was it a fluctuation or something like that. In that's the, right. Uh, a fluctuation, yeah, in the... So the timing had to be precise. And then here was the timing. Yeah, Worf! <laughs> but yeah, Picard and Crusher get beamed over. And then Worf looks, turns, calls out, Boop. transporter room, pause, now. Now. <laughs> <laughs> the least precise method they could have chosen. Right? 
Listen, if you want to punch, you have to pause before and, <laughs> and after. after. There you go. It makes sense. I get it when you put it that way. Patrick Stewart pulled him up aside for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I thought it was interesting it was Worf and not Yar because isn't this a head of security move? So I'm, I have a theory Being about... you served again! I just have a theory about, like, how they distribute lines in the early in the early season of the show. Because I'm, I'm oh. figuring occasionally, like, the Riker example that we talked about earlier, which was mm-hmm. about him having a passion about this. I think they're just trying to disperse a little bit of the character work and, like, get everybody some equal screen time so they can develop more freely later on. I'm, I'm wondering yeah. if that's why. Like, Worf is actually now more present than he kind of has been throughout much of the first season. He's always kind of been more background. And now yeah. I know we'll get it's to him more too into the second season. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly it. Like once you now, Becca, now you're understanding sort of like the shifts and the chain of command and things like that that they themselves have established. Now we kind of have to go along with they're gonna break that just for screen time or whoever they made up the most for that batch of filming. You know but they I mean? will get better, and I think they get really good at it in the later seasons. It becomes yes. people start they get assigned correctly in that way, right? Because the audience starts paying attention, and they were like, and writing oh, letters. Oh, you care? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and writing letters. Oh, you exactly. they care? All right. Um, <laughs> so the pretty much the episode ends with uh, Picard, you know, explaining to them, listen, you have radiation poisoning, and we can reverse this. Yeah. We're going to take our kids back, and uh, that's just what you have to choose now. <laughs> so, right, right. So uh, we, we pretty much cure them, I believe, or at least set them up for being cured. And then as we're leaving, Troy says something that really kind of perplexed me, which is that she knows that they'll make good parents. Mm. Do you know that those people will make good parents? Because they seem they to nurture, be— They uh, nurture innate skills. Okay. Is that all it takes? Because they so. treat kids like commodities. Right. Don't we I all? Think the, the, <laughs> I think the assumption there is that they will not be terrible parents like maybe some humans are. Hey, Troy looks for something nice to say, okay? Yeah, silver lining. <laughs> yeah. Also, unrelated, the girls wear jelly shoes. <laughs> I, you know what? I bet that uh, kid showed up for set and threw a tantrum when they tried to take the jelly shoes off. And they're like, no, no, these are in the future now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're terrible for the Earth environment, but replicators don't care. Replicators don't care. They can break down plastic. Unfortunately, yeah. our planet cannot. Oh, bummer. <laughs> On that note, what's next week? Next week is pretty crazy. It's home soil. When the Enterprise <laughs> visits an outpost in the process of terraforming a dead planet, they find the science team threatened by a mysterious new life form. Mm. Oh. If you uh, have not heard enough Technobabble yet, buckle up for this episode. <laughs> uh, well, I think we should end on a buckle up. That sounds good to me. Right? Mm-hmm. Let's... Buckle up. up. Engage. I thought I was purposely doing it wrong, but it turns out I was right. (laughs) Mm. Perfect. (laughs) 